just turn to our Bible reading, which is, uh, we're continuing in Luke's Gospel, and uh, we've reached the beginning of chapter 9, and uh, we're going to read the first nine verses of Luke chapter 9 this morning. So if you've got a, a Bible handy at home, do, um, uh, do look it up. Uh, the version that we use at the chapel is the New International Version, so if you've got that, that would be handy and um, it's on the printed sheet this morning if you're in the building. But Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 9. Uh, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town, as a testimony to them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Father, thank you for your word, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. May our hearts and minds be attentive to you this morning. And may we hear your voice for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, so if you've been um, with us for the last few weeks, you know that in the last um, uh, sort of part of, of Luke chapter 8, we ran through those four, uh, what I call sort of four, four storms, four episodes that come one after another, uh, four occasions where people are caught up in a situation that they can't control. And, and Luke is very, uh, very careful in each of the episodes to point out that. There's nothing that anybody can do. The, you know, the storm on the lake, there was nothing that the disciples could do about that. The, uh, the demon-possessed man, people couldn't restrain him. When they chained him up, he broke the chains. There's nothing that anyone could do. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood, for 12 years, she'd spent all her money on doctors and she was no better. And then obviously, Jairus' daughter, who dies, uh, these are hopeless and helpless situations until Jesus arrives. Uh, Jesus steps in, and uh, suddenly everything changes and these four storms or these four situations are all changed. They're all calmed because suddenly uh, someone else has come into the situation. And through each of those episodes, we discover more and more about the character of Jesus, about the identity of Jesus and about the mission of God. That God's mission is not just to come as a saviour to the Jewish nation. He's to come as the, the light to the Gentiles, to be the saviour of the world. And we discover through those episodes that Jesus does the things that God can do. Uh, remember the storm on the lake and the echoes of Psalm 107, where we read that Yahweh is the one who, storms, uh, who calms the storm on the lake, who stills the water, who, when people are at their wit's end, Yahweh is the one who brings the solution. And Jesus does that. So we discover through these episodes that Jesus is, is divine and the disciples, the apostles, are beginning to more and more get their heads around who this Jesus is. That he does the things that God does, 
Therefore, the conclusion must be that his, his identity is divine. And so we've had those four incidents, and now we um, arrive and... Um, Remember when the Gospels were written, there were no, you know, there were no chapter headings, there were no you know, um, numbers and verses, it just ran uh, straight on. Uh, so rather than pause at the end of chapter 8, the original readers were just a read straight through. And so having done all of these things, immediately then we come to, uh, uh, runs on into what we have as the beginning of chapter 9. Jesus called the twelve together. And what does Jesus do? Well basically he, he tells them and sends them out to do what he has been doing. They've kind of watched what he's done, and now he basically says, well, well, now you go and do it. There's this sort of um, continuity in ministry that Jesus has done the things that, that God can do, and now there's this sort of extraordinary transition where Jesus sends out the 12 apostles and says, well, you, you go and do what I've been doing. In other words, you go and do the things that we would expect God to do. You go and make the difference in people's lives that you would expect God to do, but now it's, it's going to be through you that it happens. It's this sort of extraordinary transition from Jesus doing the things that God can do to now him sending out the 12 apostles to go and do the same thing. So now they are going to be doing the things that God can do. We see the same thing at the beginning of um, Luke's second book, the book of Acts. Right at the beginning of the book of Acts, um, Luke introduces that book by saying, um, you know, in my first book, Theophilus, the guy he wrote the book for, in my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Uh, which leads to the expectation that the book of Acts is going to be another book all about what Jesus has continued to do and teach. And it is, but then immediately the book of um, Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit is sent on the church. And then the church carries on doing the things that Jesus has done. So there's this sort of continuity of ministry that is entrusted to the church, that we are entrusted with the ministry of Jesus. And so when we look at these verses, uh, there, there are aspects in which this is what the church should look like, and there are aspects that um, the church doesn't necessarily look like this. And there are four things that I want to, uh, four things that I want to unpack in this commission that Jesus gives to the twelve apostles as he sends them out. So the first thing is um, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. So he gives them this, this power and authority. Um, when Paul writes his letter to the church in, um, in Ephesus, uh, he writes about the power that has been entrusted to the church because he prays that the church in Ephesus will, will, will know the power that God has given to them. And he tells them what it looks like because he says the power that is in you, this power of God, it's the power of the resurrection. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So the power that is given to the apostles, the power that is given to the church, is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Which is why he can send them out to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Because it's a divine power that is entrusted to us. And the authority that he gives is a complete authority. You remember the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says to the apostles, he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Uh, baptize, you know, preach the Gospel, baptize people, teach them to do everything that I have commanded you. So Jesus has supreme power and authority that he, uh, he gives to his church he gives to us he gave them power and authority to drive out demons 
and to cure diseases. I was just, I was reflecting as I was preparing. Why does, why is that the first thing that happens? He gives them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And then there's verse two. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Why is there this power given to, uh, to drive out demons and to cure diseases? Almost why does that come uh, kind of as the sort of precursor to preaching the gospel? Well, I was thinking it's perhaps it's a little bit like um, we were, I think we were thinking a few weeks ago, I used this illustration of uh, the D-Day landings. So you think, well, what was the purpose? Uh, what was the ultimate purpose of the D-Day landings? Well, the ultimate purpose of the D-Day landings is to spread uh, freedom and democracy throughout Europe. That's the purpose. That's why the forces landed on the beaches of Normandy uh, on D-Day. But in order to spread freedom and democracy through Europe, there were two other things kind of that had to happen alongside that. The first is that uh, the enemy had to be driven back. Uh, you couldn't establish freedom and democracy across Europe as long as there was still a totalitarian regime in place. That had to be pushed back. And as that totalitarian regime was pushed back, then there has to be a, a redemption of the damage that has been done by that regime. So before you can have freedom and democracy across Europe, you have firstly to push back the enemy that has occupied that land and then you have to redeem and restore and rescue and reconstruct everything that's been destroyed. And so we see when Jesus comes with an announcement that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, the kingdom of God is coming to earth, uh, as the kingdom of God is established, uh, the forces of darkness, uh, uh, the demonic needs to be pushed back and the things that the demonic has done need to be undone uh, so we read again in um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians just this reminder of who the, our real battle is against uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse uh, 12 he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's the, you know, the real battle that we face is a spiritual battle of evil. Our world is full of um, evil, things that are not as they should be, full of the demonic. Uh, you know, talk to Eve Rose and the ministry that she has in Haiti and her awareness in that land of the demonic forces that she constantly battles again. In the, in the West, we're not as familiar with these things they're not as in our face as they are in other places in the world but it's a reality uh, a little later on in Luke's gospel when we get there in chapter 13 uh, we'll read an account of Jesus getting into trouble for healing a woman on the sabbath and I'll just read a little bit of uh, of these verses from Luke 13 uh, verse 10 on the sabbath Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Uh, she was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. Uh, when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Uh, then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. And uh, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's outrage and, uh, because he shouldn't be doing it on the Sabbath according to the law. Uh, his, uh, and he answers the people who are accusing him. Uh, in verse 16 with these words he says should not this woman a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day 
from what had bound her. So she's crippled, but Jesus says the reason that she's crippled is because of, um, uh, because of Satan. Satan has kept her bound. So when Jesus sends out the apostles, he gives this commission to the church to, to preach the kingdom, kind of in the vanguard of that work, is actually taking down the demonic and taking down the evil and praying against the evil that is in our world. And when people are miraculously healed through prayer, it's a sign that God's kingdom is breaking in. That's what we've been, the church has been given power and authority to do. So that's the first thing. Jesus gives the apostles power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And then he sends them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now, once you've started to, uh, to, to sort of drive back the forces of evil, then you have an announcement to make about the good news that Jesus has. And uh, when we think about uh, driving out the demonic, when we think about getting rid of, of evil, my, my view is always that the best way to do that is by, is by turning the lights on. Uh, I, so I'm not one for, um, uh, uh, you know, seeing the, you know, the devil behind, you know, everything or going looking for demons. My view is, well, if you turn the lights on, then demons have to flee when you proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. The demonic has to flee. We saw that in the last chapter with the, uh, you know, the man who was possessed by demons. When Jesus arrives on the shore, uh, the demon has to, you know, manifest. The demon has, you know, makes himself plain. Because when you turn the lights on, that's what happens. Uh, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The demon can't hide when the light is shining. And so when we proclaim the kingdom of God, when we preach the kingdom of God and the good news, that by itself drives back evil. Uh, when we pr praise the name of Jesus, uh, the demonic has to reveal itself. He sent them out, preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What is the heart of the kingdom of God? What is the heart of this message that the church is given to proclaim? Well, it's a message. I was um, talking to somebody the other day uh, and just uh, uh, saying what I did for a living. And I said, I have the best job in the world uh, because my job is simply to tell people good news. What a great job to tell people good news. And the job I have is to tell people the good news, that God loves them and that God wants to have a relationship with them. Uh, what better news could there be that a God who loves you and who has created you and who wants the very best for you is wanting to invite you into a relationship with him and has made that relationship possible through his son Jesus who died for you on the cross. What a fantastic message, what a fantastic job that we're given to tell people that that's the heart of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming whether we like it or not. The kingdom of God, God's rule and reign is coming whether we like it or not. And he invites us to be caught up in his kingdom. Now, of course, there is a, there's a flip side to that. And the flip side, of course, is that we can reject the kingdom of God. We don't have to accept this invitation. Uh, we don't have to uh, come in. It's an amazing message of good news, but because God loves us and wants us to be in relationship, he allows us to choose whether or not to be caught up in the things of God. And we have to remember that as we, as we preach the good news of the kingdom of God, that there's always the kind of uh, a dark side or a flip side that if we, if we don't accept it and if we don't join in with what God is doing, 
then the consequence of that is eternity without him. As human beings, there are only two eternal options open to us. Eternal life with Jesus or eternal death without him. Uh, remember uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 3. We have this, uh, you know, the most famous verse in the world that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's the, it is the most wonderful verse because it encapsulates the heart of the gospel that God loved us so much that he's opened the door for us to eternal life. But right on the back of that is the message that if we don't accept that good news, well then we're already under condemnation. Uh, John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That was God's purpose in sending Jesus, not to condemn, but to save. Because, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. We are already separated from God because of our sin. And what God does in Jesus is allow us back in. But if we don't accept that good news, if we don't respond to it, then we remain in that place of separation from a God who has loved us. That's the message that God has given us to preach. That's the responsibility of the church, is to preach the kingdom of God. That is a wonderful message of good news. God is in the business of restoration, of redemption, of reclaiming, of recreation. One day God is fully and finally going to restore the world as it was originally intended to be and he invites us to be part of that new creation. But in his love he gives us the choice to turn our backs and to turn our way. But we must preach the whole kingdom of God. Lay that choice before people. Uh, you can choose, but um, take note of what you choose if you choose to reject the kingdom of God. So first of all, gives us power and authority to drive out demons to cure diseases. Secondly, he sends us to preach the kingdom of God and the whole kingdom of God. Thirdly, verse three, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Now this is an aspect that is, I think, particular to the context in which Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles. Uh, he's sending them out for, we don't know how long, days, possibly a couple of weeks. It's a kind of short-term mission. This is, we're not to think that uh, throughout history, whenever the church sets out on mission, uh, we just, we don't take anything with us. Sometimes that's necessary, but sometimes we do need to plan, we do need to prepare, we do need to make sure we have resources in place. But two principles that we need to take on board as we get caught up in the things of God. First of all, as we saw a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 6 and thinking about um, Jesus' sermon on, uh, on the plain and uh, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich for you've already received your comfort. First principle is sit lightly to the things of the world. Sit lightly to the things of the world. It's, um, uh, I have great difficulty uh, with... Um, uh, some, uh, you know, uh, church leaders and evangelists, when you look at their lifestyle and you just kind of think, well, I think, I think you're enjoying the world a little bit too much. Uh, you live in a very grand house and uh, I'm not sure about the private jet and the, uh, you know, the cars on the driveway. There's something about sitting lightly 
to the things of the world. It's one of the things that I love about um, Paul Young and his work with Off the Fence, that when you look at, you know, you look at Paul's personal life, uh, he sits incredibly lightly to the things of this world. You know, his car is always not working because it's rubbish. <laughs> See, um, and I know that his, you know, his salary is, you know, it is minimal because his heart is for the mission of God. And he sits very lightly to the things of this world. And I think that should always be a, a, a mark of, uh, of the community of God, that we sit lightly to the things of this world. But the other principle, and the thing that the apostles are really having to learn, and they learn big time in the next bit of chapter 9 with the feeding of the 5,000, is trust God. Trust God. Are you exercising your ministry because you've, you've got your own resources, or are you trusting God. Sometimes God calls us to do things and we, we kind of look at them and we think, well, I, I couldn't do that. Uh, I don't have the resources. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the material things. But actually, if God has called us to do something, then we have to learn to trust him to provide. Uh, one of the first books that I read when I became a Christian in 1982 was um, Brother Andrew's book, God Smuggler. I don't know if you've ever, ever read it. Um, if you haven't read it, read it. Uh, but it's his account of how God called him in, into ministry in those days uh, behind the Iron Curtain. Uh, and I remember reading uh, in his book that he went to a Bible college in Glasgow uh, to train. And one of the things he had to do at the Bible college was they were sent out on mission for a month. And during this month, they had to organise a month of kind of outreach activities. They had to put on meetings, uh, they had to provide food, uh, and they basically had to, you know, run this mission for a month and then come back to the college and report how things had gone. And when they were sent out, they were given one pound, uh, which in those days was worth a lot more than it is now. You could probably have bought a house uh, for a pound um, 50, 60 years ago. So it was a bit more, but they were sent out with a pound. And at the end of the month, when they came back, they had to give the pound back. So for the whole month, they simply had to, tr had to listen to God to be attentive to the Spirit of God and hear what God was asking them to do, what meetings he was asking them to arrange, where was he asking them to go, and then trust him to provide everything that they would need. And the testimony was that God did that. You know, you know buildings were provided and someone would turn up with food and, and everything was provided for them. But that's part of the lesson of being a follower of Christ, is learning to trust him for everything that we need. And sometimes he gives us what we need kind of in advance and sometimes it's as we go. But the lesson is, am I, am I trusting God? Am I trusting God for everything that I need? I remember 10 years ago when um, I felt this call to lead church leadership. I know I'm back in church leadership, but 10 years ago, to lead church leadership and to go full time, sort of, you know, preaching the kingdom of God and preaching the gospel. And I had no idea how it was going to be funded, no idea how it was going to be paid for, but I just had this sense that was what God was calling me to do, and I took that step, and I've always said, I'll keep doing it as long as God keeps paying for it, and for the last 10 years, God has kept paying for it, so I keep doing it, but, you know, year to year, I'm never sure if it's going to, you know, it's going to keep being funded, but I keep doing it because I sense it's what God wants me to do. Uh, it's, um, you know, to be in that place is sometimes scary, but actually it's a wonderful place because you see God provide. I remember uh, the, when I started 10 years ago and started to get invited to do overseas trips and the first 
I think probably the first six overseas trips I did, I started with, uh, well, I'm going to do this, but I literally have no money to pay for it. So I'd send out a newsletter and just say, look, if you would like to, if you'd like to support this trip, then, you know, would you pray about doing that? And if you would like to support it, please do. And I think the first six trips that I did, every time uh, people give me, you know, I get handed some cash in an envelope, someone will make an online payment, I get a cheque through the post. And those first six trips, every time I would get exactly what I needed for the trip within five or ten pounds, and then the money would stop coming in. You know, I'd literally get exactly what I needed, and then I wouldn't get any more. And the, I think the first six trips, it happened every time, which made me think, thank you, Lord, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, because you provided for it. And especially when I first started going to Colombia and he paid for a return flight, that gave me great confidence to think, I am going to come back from this trip. <laughs> but that's the thing, it's, you know, trust God, hear God's voice, do what he asks you to do, and then trust him to provide. And I know that in the, you know, our experience as a, you know, as a chapel community is over the years, just seeing God wonderfully provide what we've needed when we've needed it and it gives us great confidence doesn't it so that's the third thing trust in God sit lightly to the things of this world and fourthly and again we've come across this already uh, with the um, the parable of the sower not everyone will welcome the message not everyone will be enthusiastic about the good news of Jesus some people will hear it and they won't respond so he has this advice whatever house you enter stay there until you leave that town, as a um, uh, say, until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. And what's this a reminder? Sometimes people won't welcome the message that we have. Sometimes we will um, approach a place or a community, or we'll, we'll you know start to preach the message and to share the message, and it just hits a brick wall. It's not welcomed. And Jesus' advice is, well, if that is the case, well, don't worry too much about it. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe there'll be another time. Don't worry too much about it. Don't become despondent. Uh, just move on. Because there will be people who will respond. I know, you know, sometimes we can get very discouraged because we, uh, you know, we, we're faithfully proclaiming the gospel. We're faithfully telling people the good news. And it, and it, and it, just, it just doesn't register well, Jesus says, don't worry too much. Uh, just, you know, walk away. There may be another time for them, another time for that community. Go to the place where you are welcomed, where there is an opening, where hearts are soft. So Jesus sends out the 12. And uh, this is, it's kind of a template for how we should be and how the church should be. But there are aspects that uh, we have to see sit in the, the context uh, and that we don't take on board for all time. But the things that we need to, uh, to learn, the things that we need to take on board, the things that need to shape us as a church community, are that we have been given power and authority by Jesus to build his kingdom. And that involves taking things down, driving out the demonic, driving out evil, standing against evil, standing against the powers of injustice. And it's power and authority to build things up to establish his kingdom, to undo the things that the demonic has done, to bring healing and restoration to those whose lives are broken. He in, uh, sends us out to preach his kingdom, a message of good news, 
But it's a message of good news because there's bad news that we have to recognise and face up to. And as we proclaim the kingdom, we have to be honest with both sides. Yes, there's a heaven. Wonderful news. But there's also a hell. There's an eternal separation from God if we don't respond to his invitation. Sit lightly to the things of this world. Always have our eyes on the life to come. Our eyes on eternal life. Never get too caught up in the things of this world. Trust God to provide for what he has called you to do. If he's given, a vision, given you a vision, then we can trust him to provide what we will need. And go, don't get discouraged and despondent when the door is shut in your face. There'll be other doors that will open. So may we be um, encouraged this morning. Uh, may we be challenged. May we be emboldened. Uh, let's take a moment or two to pray, and then we're going to turn to the.